0: Our text today comes from Hebrews 10, 32 through 11, 2. It reads, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And uh, we continue through the book of Hebrews this week. But uh, we are going to, for those who recognize we were at the end of chapter 12 last week, we're going to take a step back to cover a chapter in the book that we didn't when we came up on it, chapter 11. Chapter 11 has often been referred to as the Hall of Faith of the Bible. Because in an an attempt to strengthen the faith of these Christian Jews this letter was sent to, the writer of Hebrews starts dropping names of famous Bible characters and how they faithfully served the Lord. The folks mentioned in chapter 11 would be on the hypothetical, like, Bible History Month bulletin board. God did some amazing things through them, and as the same goes, if he did it through them, he can certainly do it through those like you and me who claim faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible's version of what I would describe as ESPN's 30 for 30, these stories of faith, though amazing, are far from perfect and a long ways from personally fulfilling for these Hall of Faithers. These folks experienced not only the hard side of a fallen world, but had to deal with the broken side of their personal issues and shortcomings. Today is an intro of sorts to our Hall of Faith sermon series that we will preach through through the whole summer. And I say we because I'll be sharing the preaching a lot in this series, not only because I think it's important that you hear, right, and be encouraged by other preachers than me, but so that we can be an encouragement to our assistant pastors and interns who, too, are called to ministry. Plus, I'll be gone for about six weeks. (laughs) Six weeks straight this summer as I take a much-needed Break, personal time break and study, work on my fish tanks, and um, I always have a new hobby. It just can't go away. Okay, so this summer, we will take a deeper look into the lives of the Hall of Faithers and their Old Testament stories. So we're going to pick them out and go back in the Old Testament, look at the story, and why would the writer of Hebrews include these people? It's my hope that their stories of faith will be used to encourage and build your stories of faith, like the writer of Hebrews was obviously hoping it would for these Christians who received this letter by encouraging them and now us to take a hypostatic, or in Greek, hypostatic, faith trip. So just like caffeine is often behind our brilliance and my talkativeness, And my brilliance sometimes, you ever have like an espresso, you come out, you are the smartest. Man, I discovered that a while ago. I've been smart every morning between eight and two o'clock for about 20 years now. Catch me then, don't catch me after two. But just like caffeine can do that for you, we must let God's spiritual essence, y'all, and gospel grace stash to be like the stuff behind, right? Fueling and supplying our faithfulness and obedience and mission. This requires three things I want us to see today. It requires holding on to a faith that will bring hurt. A faith that will bring hope. And a faith that will bring help. A faith that will bring you hurt, hope, and help. And just to give you perspective for these Jewish Christians in this first century, they were not engaging in our present culture kind of wars about bathrooms and the godliest candidate or, or how to have the most relevant and trendy church in town. No, these types of battles... And concerns for believers back then were lost and done with. And now it was about their faith surviving and about them surviving as faithful. For you and me here in America, man, I started working on this. This is a very difficult sermon to preach. Because I must contend, right, as I was reading and doing the background history of what he was talking about, what we often cry and pray and fret over, nine times out of ten, don't have nothing on what these Christians were experiencing. I mean, look at what the writer is calling them to be faithful through and how he's calling them to be faithful. Look back at verse 32 with me. But recall the former days when, after you enlightened, After you came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and abiding and an abiding one. These believers not only had many hard struggles, but it says hard struggles with suffering. What's that mean? That they fought and then lost the fight. They fought and lost their lives and livelihoods and comforts in the end. They were not the victorious Christians with answered prayers of relief from suffering all the time. And they were not able to vote and shape their country to be more moral and Christian. They lost and went through their greatest fears. And on top of that, they were considered social scum and bad for the economy and progress and freedoms and neighborhoods. Christians back then, unlike what you see in the evangelical presence in places like Charlotte, being an evangelical Christian back then meant that you brought down property values. You were the ones they were hoping to gentrify out. And the government helped facilitate it back then. Believers were guilty of being the lowest of the lowest criminal riot-causing fools and a waste of a body in the minds of many. And back in the day, many believers were imprisoned in their faith. And you would die in prison back then if someone didn't come and bring you food. little different than our prison systems today, where taxpayers pay for the food. Back then, you had to bring the food in many circumstances. It's why Jesus put such an emphasis on visiting him in the form of fellow believers in prison. As believers, right, you came to make sure your fellow brother or sister was alive and well and eating and had something to eat and wear in jail. They, and as you went, you too could be marked as coming from the same seed and tree of Christian scum of the earth as they were. And it could mean that you were followed home or never allowed to leave the jail yourself. One of the commentaries I read explained that when Jews first began to believe in Jesus and Gentiles with them, that persecution was not only about taking property and imprisoning and taking all of their possessions. That's why he says, remember, right? So some of the believers that are receiving this letter, remember when it was really bad. When Christians were used as torches to light the city at night. Others were clothed in animal skins and thrown in the arena to face wild, live, ferocious animals. Others were forced to play disgraceful roles in plays where things were thrown at them and said to them, while others were sold into all kinds of human trafficking and slavery, It was legal. It was right. And Christians couldn't win. There's no appeals court for them. There was no constitution that they could say this was based on what God wanted. That should tell us something about the Christian faith and living it in the world if you live it faithfully and when you live it faithfully it will bring you hurt. Plain and simple, Jesus promised his disciples and they warned the church that just like Jesus was hated for being the son of God, they will too for being children of God and that they will experience also all sorts of heartache and hindrances to their personal dreams in this life because of their belief, their lived out loud belief in Jesus. Let me just jump right into this. Most of us, me included, do not experience hurt in our faith. And we do everything to avoid it. Because we have already decided to avoid being faithful in ways that could cause us pain. Amen? I know I have. I'm looking for ways to slide by. We live in Charlotte, y'all. It has the most churches per capita than any city in America. And thus, probably the world. If you want to minimize your Christian co- confrontations and hurt, move to Charlotte. And say nothing. And do nothing. All you have to do is be real moral and Christianese and nice and go to church. You know what? You and I will avoid the hurt of faithfulness. When, when the conversations get religious, just talk in terms of mercy and justice and good without dropping, dropping Jesus' name. You can avoid it. And words like sin and repentance and resurrection, you know, do like I do, talk in terms of, of, of brokenness and hurt and suffering, but not sin. That'll bring God into the conversation and culpability we'll need a savior to deliver us from. We don't want that. Set aside all that stuff about church and Jesus and belief, right? Blend into the world and call it being contextual and relevant Christians instead of playing Christian hide and seek. Don't be explicit in the barbershop or on Facebook, please. Not the best place to have a conversation. Trust me, I know. (laughs) Don't say anything at the grocery store or at the bar you like to go to or your cigar club or at the tailgate. It's what verse, do what verse 38 describes as what? Shrinking back from living faithfully. Living faithfully means what? What we are hopefully hoping that I not say and I really didn't want to say. Living faithfully means, as we see in the scriptures of the persecutions, living in a way that people know and notice and have to make a decision about you as a believer in your beliefs. Man, I was looking for that Christianity where I didn't have to do all that. Some of you are like me, right? You did all that in college with the tracks and the beach projects and witnessing. Man, you were on fire for God. Now I don't want all that life is hard enough, y'all. I want to be liked. I love love being liked. Anybody else love being liked? Don't you like being accepted? Don't you want to just go sit down at your favorite bar, have a good beer, and not have to talk to the people around you about Jesus? Oh, he always messes the party up. We're avoiding the inevitable hurt. See, I think as believers, we know it's coming, and we hate that ostracizing of our faith that our faithful cost. If it if it gets known that it is as explicit, Naomi, that it is as explicit as we personally and actually hope that it is. You don't want to be explicit, but you hope as a believer that it's explicitly true that Jesus came in bodily form, God the flesh, to take away sin. You really hope is true. I mean, you wouldn't be a believer if you didn't, and yet you want that explicitness for your own life to have hope. But boy, the pain ain't worth it, is it? You believe that you need deliverance from sin before a holy sin-hating God. Oh, he dropped the h word, hate. And as believers, you believe God has revealed in the Bible. You actually believe this thing in the leather binding. Only it's like only one book comes in this kind of binding. You walk around with this with the gold thing. People know what it is. The Bible right? You, you actually believe this thing is true, and you believe in things that are right and good and true in the Scripture, and anything that falls short needs Jesus to redeem it, either by saving it by grace, or one day returning and destroying it in holy righteous judgment. You believe that. And we like talking about it right here. We're safe. We all in here together. That is the gospel we believe if you're a believer. And I saw some of y'all stand up here, some of y'all last week, and say you believed it. And we are called to live and talk and exude faith in that, like a buzzing and annoying light bulb in the dark. And God wants us to know that when we do that in the darkness, instead of turning it down or moving our light bulb to the morally lit neighborhoods and places and schools of the world, that we are going to experience hurt and offense and real loss and money issues and job loss and lose our intelligent, loving urbanite card. And along along with that, ready? free Americans that as we put the glory and gratefulness and obedience and sacrifice before God first that we will not be able to enjoy the world like we want to that's the suffering got to put on y'all not the taking your property not all that right now but the taste leaving living Life will, like leaving the matrix, for those who are old enough to remember the matrix, lose so much of his enjoyable taste and freedoms and boundaries. You like putting up boundaries. You want to go to your house and do it. You want nobody coming over. Don't want anybody bothering you for your belief right? Boundaries. That's an American freedom. The Bible is saying those things will be lost. It's not taking of your property, but it will be taking of your property in your scheduling, in your kids, in your house, in your time, in your enjoyable meal, in your friendships. Let me tell you, the world is coming for all of that. Because the world has built itself in so many ways against what it means to live faithful. And as you love God faithfully, you will grow in your distaste of what is not godly or faithful to God. Man, I can't stand this sometimes. Because I love entertainment, y'all. It's my American right to watch what I want. And here comes the gospel, right? Right? watching something on TV, so very ungodly. Oh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to get myself in trouble because it's going to be hard to break away from it. And it's like the gospel wants to take that away from me. I want to enjoy this. I want to have a little bit more to drink. I want to feel the buzz, right? You know it's coming. You just want it. And it seems unfair sometimes that the gospel will take that away. But faithful living means you will lose the possession of your American dream of freedoms. You won't be able to spend your money and enjoy your time and schedule the way everybody else does. Because you're living faithfully, right? Right? which means surprise. Because of the way you are, even though you're the best at what you do, you will not be considered number one by the world. You may not get that job, even though you deserve it. Oh, I wish I could use a term that Cornell West used, but I can't. About what it means to be mistreated in America, like African-Americans were for so long. Imagine your Christianity becomes a badge in such a way where you're automatically profiled, followed, considered a suspect before a prospect, glass ceilings and walls all around you. That's what happens when you live faithfully. It's going to be that feeling, y'all. You won't get that grant. You won't get that relationship or that job or that thing. No, your kids will be left out and mistreated. They won't be able to be in the crowd with everybody else. They will not make the team, and they may not make the starting position, even though they deserve it. Man, nothing hurts me more than seeing my kids be hurt. But it's happening. Let me tell you, Charlotte is a world of chai idolatry. And the world is going to come after your children for being believers. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to look at your kid in the eye and say, Nope, you're not going to make the team? You may not even get the scholarship, you may not be able to go to that college. You may not be able to make the honor roll because you refuse to do this or stand for that. You're going to be alone a lot. You're not going to be able to be on that Instagram page, and you're not going to be able to watch this or go to this website or enjoy the rest of the things that the other kids enjoy. And watching them hurt, it hurts when I have to tell my my sons, no, you can't go on that page, no Instagram, and no this. And we have signs on the door upstairs, can't close the door, can't have the computer in here, can't do this. Why? Because we want faithful living, and our kids, as much as we can give it, but it means they're going to lose, y'all. And and it's going to hurt. It's not just going to be, yay, we get to lose. It's going to hurt. And I must preach this This morning, with no apology or qualifications. Not this time. And boy, I have plenty. I am so good at qualifying what it means to live faithful. And you know, you can just be incognito, right? You don't have to wear the Christian shirt with Jesus' name on it. You don't have to bring the big Bible to work. Like, I got a lot of those antidotes, right, to make you feel easier about your faith. But this scripture is teaching us, if and when you're faithful, you are going to be hurt and ostracized and isolated and mistreated for your beliefs in this world. But faithfulness in large part is a call to serve and obey and represent God openly in a close to him world, expecting a hurt. But not only will your faith bring hurt and the hurt despite the hurt, it will bring you hope. A hope with a vision for living, right? Right? That is untouchable. Now, this doesn't make you any better yet. Just just hold on a minute. Look back at the language in verse 32 again. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Think about the word enlightened. When you accepted Jesus' believers, and if you're not a believer today, let me tell you what's going on with your friends, okay? When they accepted Christ, right? and came into the faith part of that transformation part of being born again is that their eyes were open spiritually they actually see a world differently than the rest of the world seeing and thus able to accept and living in a way impossible hear me impossible to those who don't believe in him your faith believers our faith gave us a vision for living a heavenly vision Look at verse 11, I mean, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the faith of people, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And substance, again, is that word hypostasis or hoopostasis. And the, the writer is call, writers calling them to that confidence, right? To that vision, that thing they see in the way they see and receive it because of Jesus being in their hearts. To let that vision be their way and reason and path for living. And that is a big deal considering that all they and others can see is being lost to them. Their good health and their homes and their influence and their money and their relationships and their social statuses and their acceptance. And believers by faith take hope and go to and through the hurt and hardships because of the real vision that Jesus has given them beyond and through this world. Faith is not about believing in and for nothing. But in what you truly and really see in your mind's eye and in your heart's eyes, the, the, as you re, what you really see as the life and the way God has built this world and designed and called it and made it to be and even called for it to be redeemed and loved and restored and triumphed over by King Jesus, you believers see the blueprint. You see the plans. You see the glory of God. And it is worth living and losing and dying for. He says, remember when you were enlightened? You got crazy for Christ and you ran to hard suffering and a hard life. What were you looking at? What were you seeing? Not a hallucination, but a holy transformation of heart and mind. One day I was driving down Central Avenue and I caught a glimpse of the nastiest old fish tank you ever seen, sitting in front of Clark's Antiques. Old Clark ain't there no more, I don't know what happened. But I was driving by, and I would slow down, cars would be blowing, boom, what's this dude doing? I'm looking at that foggy old fish tank. <laughs> I had a vision for a nice big fish tank in my house. And all I could see when I look at that all foggy tank is fish swimming in this nice tank with this ambient glow as I watch the movie in my room upstairs. And I envision the hard work, get this, y'all, of cleaning it and having it wait to be fixed up. Sitting in my, It was sitting in my dining room, out of place, on a pallet for a long time, and I would actually go in and look at it and just enjoy looking at it. Before it was nice, I just imagined what it was going to be. My eyes saw something that Kelly and the boys with that thing sitting in the living room didn't see. (laughs) I got joy by looking. I took on the work and the stress, stashing away and hiding money, buying fish stuff. I don't know if she looked at the Bank of America statement, little sliding it in here and there. And even the other day, when 25 gallons leaked through the canister filter onto the floor upstairs and put a little mark on the ceiling downstairs, <sighs> the vision didn't die. I took on the work. I had a little carpet cleaner sucking all the water, man. It was a lot of water. It even leaked into our bedroom on the other side. For the fish tank. All the, pro- all the work and progress and brokenness and setbacks with joy. Can you imagine that? Because I was so convinced and sold on the vision of that nasty abandoned tank. I had hope to keep giving and losing and money and time and fun, right? Why in the world would anyone, I don't care how good of a person you are, accept and join in and join up and even welcome in your actions the hurt and, and not just deal with and accept the hurt, but as the, as the writer is saying, but go through it with joy because the hope of God has overcome the pain with a vision, a real vision of something, of God's kingdom coming coming on earth and changing things. And then as verse 37 says, Jesus coming and cleaning things up and making things right and well and good for all time's sake. You see it because God has put it in your heart. And you see that thing with joy let me tell you, man, when we were looking for a building, let me tell you, John Wells and I, poor John. John has a building. You got to see it. It's right for our church. And we all show up with this thing. We saw, saw all kinds of buildings, things with these wooden panels on the doors, mice in the back, people back there smoking weed. I mean, it was terrible. We rolled back. What y'all doing back here? We ain't doing nothing. What's going on? We went in one place. We went so far back in this dark building, and my eyes are like, this is going to be great. This is the children's area over here. Wow. And we walked in, and somebody had a little house in there. And John was like, I hear squeaks, man. I'm out of here. (laughs) And I'm like, no, this is it. This is where we can have this. Division, man. You will get shanked up in there. That's all right, division. Division. Can we go deeper? You know, like a horror movie, the flashlight giving out, trying to hit it. We can see it. I want to see more. Watch out for those electrical wires hanging from the top. It don't matter the vision. <sighs> you know what a real exercise of faith, faith building, is about? It's about seeing it all over again. That's why you come here on Sunday. That's why you hear me preach crazily up here. That's why he says in verse 32, remember when you first were enlightened? Remember the vision. Remember what wasn't a dream, but God's trustworthy gospel plan that blew up in your heart and mind like a glory bomb that made you look at and above and beyond the pain and the world's death throes through the life and promise and transformation and, and power and redeeming power and love of God. You had and have hope in something real. The hypostatic holy trip Not hallucination, but vision that God gave and gives you in Christ Jesus. But that vision has a partner in giving you hope in a world of heartache and waiting a reward. Look at verse 34 and 35 with me. I'll move a little quicker now. I got a million stories. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, what? You may receive what is promised. Yet a little while in the coming one will come and will not delay. Then drop down the verses 1 and 2. I forgot about that. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things hoped for, right? And the conviction of things not seen. There's a lot of language about promises and rewards and possession and commendation in verse 2 of chapter 11. But this is no ordinary reward, y'all. Okay? I want you to get this. Because somewhere a lot of churches missed it, and they got a whole gospel built around it. This is a reward that drives our faithfulness because it is beyond anything this world could give us or take away. So everything being taken away or harmed or hurt in believers' faithfulness listed here in these beginning verses can't be the actual reward of faith. Wow. Wow. So my faith is not rewarded. The reward of faith is not money and cars and houses and prowess and power and social status on earth. That is not the reward of your faith. It's not that poor of a reward. Though you and I work hardest for it, there is a call here to stop taking hope in these subpar gospel rewards. But, to bring, but bring the rewards of God that supersede through those things, right? And live with hope of reward even if you lose or don't have worldly comforts and security. It is the opposite of the prosperity gospel, guys, okay? And I'm not talking primarily about the easy to spot ones you see on television, right? The television evangelist. Send me this and I'm going to send you a prayer cloth and you rub that prayer cloth on something you get it, okay? Not that. Or oh, I've seen a coin of faith. And if you flip... Okay, anyway, y'all, I've seen some things. <laughs> but more so, the, the oft-defended as God's kingdom capitalistic, misunderstood, and applied Judeo-Christian work ethic about hard work and earning and deserving all you have and keeping it, justifying how you got or keep it. The fall has done away with work being a completely moral transaction. Right? God has given us more than that. He is saying the true reward is when you use all of that, all you have, and let it be fodder and kindling and fuel for the gospel for living faithfully. by your sacrifice in and what you have because you have real hope in the reward of faith. Here's the big thing about all the descriptions and definitions. They are not things that you actually earn or produce, but you receive and wait for. It says reward, not award. Right? It says receive a promise, not earn your due and a commendation. Right? Bottom line, you can take hope in living faithfully because the world cannot take away the real stuff. And when I say real, I am talking hypostatically the stuff that can't be seen and hasn't materialized and that we might have to wait for Jesus' return to get. But the real reward is the stuff beyond this life. Forget living this life, we are talking about eternal life. Forget houses, we are talking about a new heaven and a new earth and everlasting mansions with no mortgage and taxes ever. Forget social status, believers, you are citizens of heaven. Forget being accepted, believers are honored before the heavenly host and they sing over you and you're loved and accepted by God because of who you are in Jesus. It's just a matter of waiting for it and knowing it is coming. I suffer from buyer's remorse a lot because I buy too much. Remember I talked to you about being more visionary? There is more for me sometimes in the waiting and visioning and expecting than actually receiving it. I'm happy about ordering it. Y'all heard my story. I've shared with you my brokenness. I get more out of looking at the Amazon box. Once I open and pull it out, it's over. I'm like, yay. It looked so much better when it was coming to me. It's so much better when I I go online and I track the package. Oh, it's great. It's coming. I can't wait. Woo. Dang. man i was really hoping that this purple bonsai tree right for my fish tank would work right and i opened they had the picture of it and boy i envisioned it and i opened that thing it was plastic and flat and it was the wrong color purple By remorse or depression, there is more sometimes, again, it just means I see it better than what it actually is. We have hope because as believers, we live in the joy and hope of seeing what is better than what is down here right now. You can actually enjoy tracking the package of God's promise. There is joy in just looking at the box. Join my crazy world. But for a gospel reasons, you can take hope that the rewards, but with one big difference, right? You know that the rewards of heaven one day, and in part manifested now, incompletely, will be without buyer's remorse. Because when Jesus returns, everything will be better than the vision you actually have. It is the real hypostatic hope and now and then rewarded the believer who lives by faith and not by regular sight. Sometimes I know, I feel it now, and when I wrote the sermon, I'm a little spoiled American fat cat Christian that life is so (laughs) without… Thank you, Mr. Bobo. I'm glad you recognize that. I hope it isn't by sight. When I wrote this, without persecution, I'm not too impressed by the reward of me coming. Y'all have it so good. Sometimes you're glad living the way you are. Sermons and teachings about heaven, frankly, can be underwhelming for Americans. Y'all got it so good. I do too. Just swipe, right? Just open the fridge, food for many of us, not all of us here. And for you going through it for the faith, it is not easy for the heavenly trip of hypostatic faith to just be drummed up by a loud sermon. Here are some good, more good news. Faith not only brings hurt and hope, it brings help. Our faith, our belief in God delivers help for us to endure the hurt and stay hopeful. This passage, contrary to what it might feel like at first, is not a call for believers to come alive and be faithful and gain hope and energy and get up and get going by being nostalgic. Ah. Uh or live out an inspiring Rocky movie montage, but to actually trust that God will give them the help to be faithful to him and each other. Here's how. As much as we look forward to him physically returning and breaking open the sky and bringing the rewards and promises of vision down here in his second return for all times, we have faith that Jesus makes himself known in our faithfulness and manifests his faithfulness in our lives Now. Look at verses 32 and 34. Um, well, I don't know if I'm going to read all this again. He said, but recall the former days when after you enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those who were mistreated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your, your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I don't know whether that description sounds familiar. No, it isn't just about believers' faith, but ultimately the ministry of Jesus through them. Which means this, in our faith, in its hurt, and in its hopes, Jesus shows up in the public declaration and obedience to him, even though it will hurt in your fellowship with each other and each other's sufferings, whether in jail or in bondage or something embarrassing, when you are willing to forgo a better paycheck or house or school for your kid so that you can be a public better public witness to God's holiness, mercy, and justice for the faithful exercise of your faith. Hebrews says this in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The repossession and reward is the coming Jesus talks about in verse 37. Not just finally, though, y'all. Let me explain this to you. Not just finally, like he bodily will, but spiritually, In unseen surety, Jesus does come and help and work to save and minister to the world around you through your faithfulness with power and authority. Understand, people of God, People of faith, you are, according to Hebrews, in possession and holy promise of Jesus coming when your lives are broken open in faithfulness with the gospel. Your lives broken open to what would make you hurt and suffer and sacrifice, living with real visionary hope. It fractures, y'all, like a flare in the darkness. And Jesus is promising to enlighten, right, the world like he did for you. He is promising that you won't hurt and hope for nothing because he is promising and rewarding faith by making himself known through it. He's promising to be present and show up in your testimony in obedient lives. When you live it, and if you live it, he's promising. He will come. He will be there. You have the light of the world promising to be faithful to come and help in response to your faithful living. Jesus through your faithfulness is helpful today for the now and here ne- here even though so much of the promises in the next life there is so much being done unseen right now, y'all. And let me close with this. It even gets better here, because not only is he our help in being faithful to make himself known, but to bring help in your suffering. Just two two small passages here to look at with huge ramifications. In verse 34, it says this. For you have compassion on those in prison. You fully accept the plundering of your property. Since you knew that yourselves had a better possession, and here's the point, here's the verse, and an abiding one. And then if you look at verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But listen, to, look at verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith, and preserve their souls. This kind of message can feel extremely condemning for somebody like me. I don't know about you. Because if you're like me, you can never do enough to consider yourself faithful. I know you're going through your mind. Well, am I really testifying enough? I need to go and tell my neighbor. Do I need to do this? Yes, you do. Okay? That'd be nice. That'd be nice to get in a conversation with somebody and actually say something about the most important thing in your life. It might be nice. But this passage is saying your faith is the gift of Jesus' help. He's not rewarding the faithful. He rules people of faith with faith. When the hurt comes in your belief, when the hope seems dim, dim light in a very dark world, Jesus is not expecting your faithfulness to keep you going. He is trusting his faithfulness to help you have faith to keep going. That's why verse 34 says that you can take a licking and keep on ticking because it is an abiding part of what Jesus does. In other words, he promises to never leave you or forsake you. When we come to Jesus, the Bible teaches that he abides in us and we abide with him. Which means he will not leave you, though distressed and afraid of being rejected, And that even though you might shrink back in being faithful, that guess what? He does not shrink back from you. And he does not leave because you failed to step up and be all that you really should be. He does not shrink back and leave you and stop abiding and take away the reward and the possessions because you weren't the witness or as obedient as you should have been. In fact, it clearly says you are not of those who shrink back, but those who will preserve their souls to the end. What is he saying? You are in Jesus, y'all. You have every help you need to be faithful and crazy for Christ and out there for Jesus and to keep going in the hurt because he is promising that your faith will not fail you. Because he will not fail you. So then the hurt and the hope, he will and is your help. If no one else comes to see you in your rejection or loneliness and standing for him, if no one comes to visit you in your little house or wants to be your friend in your limited budget due to your faithful following of what God wants to do and get out of your life, Jesus will abide with you. Jesus will be faithful to you when everybody walks away. When everything goes wrong because of your stand with Christ, Jesus will stay and Jesus will help. He will never leave you or forsake you and me to take the hypostatic faith trip
0: alone.
1: Your faith will hurt. It will bring you hope. But thank God in Jesus for the world and for you and me. It will bring us help. This is the faith we're called to. Not only run to the hurt and witness to, but the faith we're called to fall into. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, our minds are going to be going crazy. But you said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So any condemnation is from Satan and from the flesh and from sin and misconceptions in our own own hearts and minds. So Lord, I pray that you would take those away and that they would be be replaced with a true and right vision of Jesus' love for us and how much his faithfulness encourages us to be faithful to him and in this world. And Lord, as you protect your people from condemnation and fear of not being a good enough Christian. I pray that you would motivate us to sometimes jump in the deep end of the pool. Not because we can swim, but because you are the great rescuer of humankind. Help us to Join each other. Lord, some of us are in prison because of our faith. We've been so rejected by family, mistreated by neighbors, shut down at work, unable to move ahead, that we are in a social prison, if you will, and some of us an emotional one. I pray for this congregation that we would be faithful to visit each other and minister to each other in those isolating places. Help us to encourage each other as we see the day coming, oh Lord, when you're going to crack the sky wide open and you're going to come down to the faithful as a faithful Savior and Lord. Lord. Oh, Lord, we see that vision and help us to see it like a package on the way. Help us to trust you and find great joy in it. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.